Okay. Again, I, I want you to think about what I say in the next 20, 25 minutes, and then I'll give you a chance at the end of class to ask a question or make a comment. I'd be happy if you join the conversation. This is where we have come so far, and I go over this every week just for several reasons. One, to just review and summarize where we've been, uh, but also uh, to show us that with God's help, we can become what He wants us to be. And it's good for us to keep this vision in front of us. Last week, we talked about the fact that the church of our dreams is open to change. And the Sunday before, we said, hey, we're relying on God. We're not doing this on our own strength at all. It's God's power and God's strength that enables us to be the kind of people He wants us to be. So the church of our dreams trusts in God, relies upon God, depends upon God. Uh, we want to be open to change. Now, this is just a quick review of last week, and then we'll hurry on to some new territory. Uh, next Sunday is the last Sunday in this class, and I've got three topics that I need to cover in my mind in two Sundays. And we'll finish this one today, open to change. Our next one is the Church of Our Dreams has high standards. And then finally, the Church of Our Dreams is led by spirited, spiritual, spirit-led men and women. And we'll talk about leadership and, and how leadership needs to be spiritual in, in next week. I, I certainly hope we get that far. Uh, I told you last week that I'm grateful for our heritage because first we are a people of the book and have been a people of the book. We look to Scripture as our authority. The truth is God is our authority. God is our authority. But God has revealed His will to us and for us in sacred Scripture. And so we go to Scripture to find the guide that we need, the direction that we need for becoming all that God wants us to be. And then I said I'm grateful for the fact that we are not bound to inflexible creeds. On the other hand, we have the freedom to think for ourselves and to change our perspective if that change is warranted by Scripture. If we find in the process of our growth in Christ that what we once believed back there, we no longer believe because we can't find support for that in Scripture, we're willing to change. That's hard to do. But our heritage has taught us to do that. We could be wrong about what Scripture teaches. We could be wrong about our interpretation. And so we always want to be open to what the Spirit is trying to show us in Scripture. We, we want to be humble, teachable, pliable, willing to change. Now, uh, today I want to focus on number two here. We, we, we focused on this first statement last week. I want to talk about the fact today that, that we are open to change for the sake of the spread of the gospel. And we refer to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Where in the context Paul is talking about his willingness to forfeit his rights. For the good of others. But at the end of chapter 9 he says hey I'm, I'm very adaptable. I've become all things to all people. To the Jews I've become a Jew. To the Greeks I've become a Greek. Why Paul? Because I want to save some. So Paul realized that he needed to be flexible and adaptable in his methods. He's not compromising his convictions. He's not changing the message at all. But he realizes that in certain cultures or subcultures, he may need to approach something a little differently than he would before. He may need to change his methods. He may need to modify it a little bit, the way he approaches something. 
So we, we talked briefly about Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And the point here is that I want to make today is that while our message never changes, cannot, must not change, our message doesn't change. Jesus is our message. Our methods can and must change because culture changes and people change. And what may have worked 20 or 25 years ago may not work today. And by the way, just because we've always done something a certain way doesn't mean we should do it that way in the future. You know, that's a terrible reason for doing something. Well, we've always done it that way. But I rely on that myself. I've always done it that way. Well, that's a lousy reason for doing something. Especially in the Lord's work, we need reason, purpose, intention for what we do. And as people change and as cultures change, we need to be open to change. So that's where we're headed today. We need to be open to change. First of all, healthy churches expect change. It's not that, that they are not so resistant to change. It is that they expect that they'll have to change. It's an expectation. After all, God is renewing every Christian, isn't he? God is renewing us as individuals. We are, what is God's dream for us? That we'll be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans chapter 8. We are being transformed into His image from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Christ in us is the hope of glory. We are change- Christianity is all about change. Conversion. As individuals, we are changing. So why wouldn't we expect the church to be changing as well? We must be constantly renewing and the church must be constantly renewing as well. So the message stays the same, but the methods change. And churches can't reach new people without giving up some of their old methods. Now think about this with me. Don't just accept it because I put it up on the screen. Just think about that. How do we reach people who are unlike us? I mean, there are people out there who don't share our preferences, our opinions. How do we ever hope to reach people who are unlike us if we're not willing to give up on some of our old ways? I think it's true that we have got to change some of our ways if we're going to reach people. By the way, reaching people is not the end goal, is it? Now, Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I want to save some, but for Paul, his aim was to please the Lord. Uh, That's where, 2 Corinthians 5, I think. I aim to please the Lord. We make it our aim to please the Lord. But in the end, what was Paul's goal? To give glory to God. We live to the praise of God's glory. Ephesians chapter 1. So this is our long-term, big-time goal. We want to glorify God. How do we do that? One way we do that is by sharing the message of Christ with people outside of these walls. By trying to show people who are lost, that is not where they belong, that they can come home to God. And that's how we share in glorifying God. So I do want you to keep that end in view here. Healthy churches are willing to change because they want to give glory to God. And one way of doing that is to show people out there they can come home. They can come home. And, and for them to accept the message, they may, they may need to hear that message in, in a relevant, current way that is current to, to their culture. Now, the problem here is that... Uh, Most of us don't like to change. We'll skip that. Yeah, let's go there. Uh, Most of us uh, don't like to change. And I'll I'll readily tell you that um, I don't really like change that much. You you may think differently, but I really don't. 
Uh, I'm, I'm comfortable with, with where I am. And I think our natural tendency is to drift to that which is comfortable. Or it's easy and familiar and comfortable. And, and that's why we tend to get bent out of shape when someone challenges our thinking. Because we've come to believe that our thinking is sacred. We've come to believe that what I believe on a certain topic or the way I do something, it's not just a preference, it's not just an opinion, it's sacred. You know, I, I like certain songs in church. I like certain songs that are sung at a certain speed, and I like certain lighting. How about you? I like a lot of the newer songs. I like the old hymns, too. They have such depth of meaning and richness. And besides, I've been familiar with those old hymns for a long time, 50 years. So I've got my preferences. I like certain ministries with certain activities, I like certain teachings that center around certain passages that address the sins of certain people who aren't me, typically. Uh, We have our preferences. We have our our opinions, what we like, what we don't like. And new things make us uncomfortable. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't even have to relate to the church at all. New things make us uncomfortable. Why is that? Well, they require us to give up control. They change us. They force us to become, in a way, new people. And that's not always comfortable. But I'm not sure churches can reach new people without giving up some of their old methods. You know, you probably are familiar with some churches in your experience who who are just unwilling to change anything. I was talking to Becky about this. She said she remembers a time in her history... When people got upset when they pasted the song, How Great Thou Art, in the front cover of the songbook. Can you imagine that? Getting upset for pasting a, a, a new song in the songbook. Just a change. Some churches are just unwilling to change. Why is that? Well, change might offend certain people who attend the church. And some people might... Quit attending the church. And some people might quit giving to the church. And here we go. So we're not going to make any changes for fear of, of losing people or what it might do to the body. Uh, I've been thinking about this for at least two weeks. And I'm of the opinion that, well, here's what's interesting about change. We, we tend to think that what we have always done the way we've always done it, is more than familiar, it is sacred. It is holy. I think we tend to think that because we've always done something in a certain way, it almost takes on uh, the authority of Scripture, becomes sacred. And so what we need to ask ourselves about methods is, is it sacred or is it merely familiar? Is it holy Or is it merely comfortable? And those are tough questions to ask. And I think the bottom line is that more of us probably need to come to the realization that the church isn't about me. And that my preferences aren't as important as the people we are trying to reach.
and that my needs are not as important as those who are outside of God's family and who need to come home. That we are not here for ourselves. We are here for others. For one another, yes, but for people out there who don't yet have the joy of knowing the Lord as we do. I think that's probably where we need to land, although it's difficult to land there. And I really believe, too, the fact is that the church, like anything else in society or anything else in the universe, either changes or dies. I think that's the option. We either change or we die. Now, I want to read to you. I've got 12 minutes left. I want to read to you a post that I found on Facebook written by a preacher in Tennessee. And then I want to read to you a response to this post. And I want to see what you think about it near the end of class. Here's a short post by this preacher. I am on a short two-day trip to encourage 30-plus ministers and be encouraged in return. I'm just getting here, and I got a call from a minister friend whose elders have decided to yank the chain and turn hard right. Then I got a long, heartbreaking email from a children's minister who has been thrown into turmoil after their church, which was poised for greatness and growth, appointed new elders, two of whom have launched hard right, and the others won't oppose them. And I just got another message that a friend of mine has decided to leave his pulpit because he is, quote, tired of fighting, end quote, all in a space of less than seven hours. My tribe, the Churches of Christ, have lost 1,100 congregations in the last 17 years. Now, I haven't verified those statistics, but I would not doubt that they are true. My tribe, the Churches of Christ, have lost 1,100 congregations in the last 17 years. And by the way, you know that what is most important is that we have a relationship with God. And you know that there are people of God who are in other religious fellowships. You know that to be true. I mean, the only Christians in the world are not in our tribe. However, I love our tribe. I love my heritage. And I don't want to see our heritage die, even though I... Jesus said the church would continue on. The gates of Hades are not going to prevail against the church, Matthew chapter 16. I'm just hoping God continues to move in my tribe. You know what I'm saying to you? I know God's going to move in the world. I just want our tribe to be part of his movement. That's what I'm saying. Now, forget that tangent if, if you need to. Let's go back to this. I'm, I just got off base a little bit there. The rate of closure is picking up speed, he says. My friend Bobby Ross works for the Christian Chronicle, which recently posted an article on the closings. And most people's response is, keep on going the way we are. He says, it's like the captain of the Titanic seeing the iceberg and deciding the best course is full speed ahead. I love my people, he writes. My heart is breaking for them. At this rate, my grandchildren will witness the extinction of our tribe's name. While our mistakes should die, our people are some of the finest people on earth. I hate to see their churches gray out or lurch right into irrelevance and traditionalism. Only God can save us. That's poignant. Now, I posted this post. I reposted this post and shared it with some folks to see how they would respond to it. And here is the response of a young lady 
She and her husband are missionaries in a foreign country. Hi, Carrie. I sadly was not surprised to read this post and wanted to share some thoughts. It is my experience that the churches of Christ where I grew up, as well as other places, are so resistant to change that they are becoming completely unrelatable. Now, I don't know whether you agree with that or not, but it's worth thinking about. It's my experience that churches of Christ are so resistant to change that they are becoming completely unrelatable to the culture. Even my parents who grew up in the Church of Christ and were missionaries for 10 years have distanced themselves from the Church of Christ, preferring to be part of another denomination now, although they still visit around to the Churches of Christ and haven't completely cut ties. And she tells about their personal experience here. Several Churches of Christ support us in our mission work, but they pretty much just send a check and aren't involved or have any idea what we do. You know, we could preach, we could preach some sermons on every line in this post. I, 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 could, I could get off on a tangent here and talk. How do we do mission work? Are we just sending money or are we getting involved? Anyway, let's go back to this. <laughs> and as hard as that is sometimes, sending a check, not being involved. As hard as that is sometimes, because we don't have much of a support system, we have not sought out their involvement. Because we fully believe that if they came down and saw what we do, they would drop their support because we are more open and don't hold to a lot of traditional Church of Christ doctrine. I'd like to know what those are, but she doesn't say. We still agree on the most important things, but it seems like people everywhere are so caught up in legalistic doctrinal issues that there is no grace for those who are different. Tell me we can't preach on each sentence, Paula, in this post right here. So caught up in legalistic doctrinal issues that there's no grace for those who are different. We hardly associate with the other churches of Christ, not because we don't love them, but because their rhetoric is toxic. And we don't want to expose our new Christians to that stuff. I've been to conferences during which it seemed the majority of the conversation and talks were about doctrinal issues and how there are no Christians outside the church of Christ. We even hosted a women's conference and some ugly things were said. So now I don't even want to tell the church members when the conferences are taking place because I fear having them around Christians like that will hurt their faith. People already have so much baggage with churches here that they don't need more reasons to think they don't want to be a part of the group of Christians. Our group of Christians. For example, one lady who wanted to lead a small group prayer at the conference was told by a fellow church member that she wasn't allowed to lead the prayer because she wasn't baptized yet. Parentheses. Because if you're not baptized, you can't pray? Into parentheses. Anyway, that was a long ramble and probably more than you wanted to know. But here's the final punchline. But I am really saddened by the lack of change, growth in many churches of Christ. I love the church of Christ and think it has so much to offer. But I fear for its future too. Well, I fear for its future too. I don't fear for the future of the church of Christ with a little c. Because that will continue. I fear for the future of churches of Christ with a capital C. If we're so resistant to change that we cannot adapt our methods to the culture then I fear for the churches of Christ. We either change or we die. Now, I've got got a list of things. You're thinking, okay, well, Jerry, Carrie, what what would you recommend we change? I know know what you're thinking. You don't bring up the subject unless you're willing to specify what you think we should change. All right. I don't have time to talk about that, though. (laughs) 
But I'm thinking about things like technology. Churches that don't have a website today, oh my goodness, they're in trouble. Online giving. I was so glad to see that we at Meadowlark started online giving. That's where we are. You know, I understand a lot of people under 30 years old don't carry checks or cash. What in the world? They don't do that. Credit card, debit card, go online. Pay for it that way. So just small changes like that. I talked with you last week about eliminating Sunday night services. Hey, this falls in the realm of methods. The time of service is not sacred. The frequency of meeting is not sacred. But I told you about the conversation I had with my, my, my dearly loved father last week. And where they are, the elders are struggling with the thought that, that they may need to cancel their Sunday night services. And I'm just praying now that he's never listened to the Don't record this tape. They, they'll have 400, 450 on a Sunday morning and about 75 come back on Sunday night. Now, what should the leaders of the church do in a case like that? Should they accept the fact that the culture is changing and that people are so busy that they don't feel it's worth their time to come back on Sunday night? Or should they say, if people were truly committed to the Lord, they would come Sunday night and Wednesday night and Sunday morning. What should they, what should they do in that situation? See, that, that's, a, that's a real challenge for church leaders because they don't want to feel like they're compromising their convictions. On the other hand, they want to adapt to the culture so they can reach people. We need to consider that. Maybe we should change the frequency of time. Maybe we should change the times. I'd like to talk a whole lot about that, but I'm not going to do it. But things in, the, in, the, in this category. Uh, programs. Maybe there are programs in the church that no longer work. But you know how it is in most churches I've been a part of. I don't know about this church, so I'm, I'm safe here. Once a program, always a program. We have a hard time killing programs. They become sacred cows. Well, we can't kill that program. We've had it for 20 years. Well, maybe we ought to consider killing some programs and starting some new ones that we haven't even dreamt of yet. I'm just talking about changing methods, our willingness to do that. Well, I've got more in my notes here, but I I need to give you, I need to be true to my word and give you time to talk. Uh, What I want to do, I see I intended to go here and here and here and here. This is where I intended to go. This is next week, I guess, and, and here. So, here's where I wanted to end today. I want, I want to see what you think about some of these comments that I've made today. And I've only talked about the first one, really. First one and third one. Not, not the other two. Uh, you may have a comment to make on what I've said. You may have a question. You may want to comment on one of these statements. I'd like to hear what you think about this. So uh, we've got 15 minutes till the end of class and I want you to join the conversation. Hey, let me suggest something too. Uh, let's give people who never talk in this class a, a first chance to talk. And some of you who are always talking, and I appreciate your comments, by the way. Uh, you might hold back for a few minutes and see if we have anything from these shy folks who, who are thinking but are not sure they want to go public with their thoughts. Let's give them a chance to speak first. And then uh, if, if we don't hear from them, those of you who always have good things to say, we'll hear from you, okay? So... Having said that, I'll probably not get any comments at all from anybody. <laughs> Would anybody like to comment or ask a question at this point? Join the conversation. Tell me what you're thinking. What did I tell you? Yes. Jason. I talk a lot. 
Um, I, I really like this subject, and um, my daughter has a lot to say, too. <laughs> we've, we've got the chance to be in several congregations in Wyoming and uh, Phoenix and Oklahoma City. So we've seen everything from the Bible Belt in its prime to small-town church where you know, there's four or five people. They listen to a tape of a sermon that's recorded somewhere else because that's all they've got. And so I think we've we've seen a lot, and I think just as it, much as it's important to, um, you know, look at how we might reach a younger generation and and, and change things, I, I really like that. Um, I think it's just as important to teach younger people to adapt to what other folks are doing, too, and to say that, you know, uh, or to not go to a small congregation that's not all that jazzy, you know, maybe it has some members in it that, you know, they're all they're all on Medicare or whatever. It, you know, uh, <laughs> teaching teaching young people to go into a situation like that. Maybe they get an oil field job where they're in North Dakota, and they're uh, you know they're in a congregation of ten, fifteen people. Teaching young people to go into that situation and be a light, despite what's going on there, and, and to uh, not expect that church to adapt to them. Uh, because they're young, but to teach young kids to go into a situation and and really just love God's people Good. and get engaged and have personal relationships because that's where it all happens anyway. Whether you're in a big church that's really, you know, I guess I would call it uh, new age and all that kind of stuff, or whether it's a small congregation that's still doing what they did in 1940, you've got to be able to reach people yes. and you've got to be able to talk to them. So. Excellent. Teaching young kids to do that. Great comment. And, you know, I appreciate so much. Uh, today, a lot of our talk is how are we going to reach the young adults? How are we going to reach the millennials? Yeah. Uh, I like your comment that the millennials and the young adults also need to be willing to adapt to us old fogies. So I appreciate that. Since the microphone's here, I'll just talk. Speak right up. Uh, I think we've confused to always being on the defensive. That that means we're doing something right. Um and sometimes I think it hardly takes much effort, but it still requires effort to make a huge difference. And I think specifically of singing, um, I feel like we're always on the defensive about no instruments or whatever. And, and instead of fighting it on that, then if you love a cappella singing, which I do, I think the human voice is amazing. But it takes effort to teach a group of people to be able to sing together and to show and and like doing the Keith Lancaster thing that they've done that makes a huge impact the fact that we learn new songs together through yes. the summer makes a big difference and and I think it takes the focus away from the negative and being defensive and and on the offensive to where maybe we can actually dig into more important issues because that becomes a non-issue anymore. And again, that's just one tiny little thing. It's good. But. Good thought. And le- you're right. Learning new songs is, is an evidence that, that we're open to new methods. Chappie. You don't talk very much, Chappie, so I want to hear from you. I don't know if you do or not. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Um, the first century church had the biggest problem with culture in that you had non-Jews and Jews coming together, and they had totally different views. On That's things. right. And they 
you know, you look at um, Romans chapter 14, and <clears throat> Paul talks about being sensitive to one another and um, looking out, bearing with one another, and considering, what, you know, the faith of the other person. And everybody has to do that individually, I think. Mm-hmm. But then in, in uh, Acts chapter 15, there was such a division that they just couldn't, des- couldn't decide. Well, the elders and the leaders got together and they said, they made a compromise and they said, this is what we're going to do. And That's right. This is the way it's going to be. And I think, uh, um, you know, both of those are examples of how you deal with change because there was change taking place on both sides. The Jews had to change and the Gentiles had to change. Yes. So everybody had to. Yes. And they compromised. I like that comment. It's a good one. Christy? Thanks, Carrie. Um, I appreciate the discussion, but my overwhelming question remains is, so what are the bedrock foundations that should not ever change? There you go. That's a great question. Another comment? (laughs) It's okay. No, Christy, that, that's a great question, and it's one we need to always answer and focus on. And, and there are certain passages in Scripture where we can go to answer that question, I think. But that's always, a, that's always the, the challenge. What is sacred? What are the convictions we must hold on to? And what can we change without compromising the truth or our faithfulness to the Lord? It's a great question. And we always need to be asking that. Be part of the discussion. Nicole? Well, thank you for the question because that was about my comments. A couple of things that you said. One was, you know, there are Christians in other congregations. That is true. But what I find is people compromising their conviction on who is a Christian. Does it mean that they're a baptized disciple of Jesus Christ that is saved? Or is praying Jesus into your heart good enough? Um, we've, I've seen a lot of compromise um, and weakening in the convictions on core doctrinal issues. And one of the things the young lady said in her thing was that they had discussions about doctrine. Well, it says watch your life and doctrine closely so that you may not only save yourself but your hearers as well. If you're compromising on your doctrine, you are compromising on Christ. Well, yes. And, and like I said... We must always be coming to Scripture and leaning upon God's Spirit to determine what is doctrine, what can be compromised, what can't be compromised. Uh, and and that, that requires that we always, that we are humble students, that we go to Scripture, even that we realize that we may have been wrong on something, that... Uh, I may have been wrong when I was 25 years old on what I believed on this. I may be wrong. So you're right. We don't want to compromise doctrine, but we always need to be in a position that we're checking what Scripture says. Yeah.
I think that's true, that some people uh, are influenced by this age. That is, they, they're more tolerant than they should be. But I also think there are some young adults who are just testing what we've always believed. They're just testing what we've always... Is this really true? Is this really true? Is this really what God expects of me? I think some of them are really... They're just... They're challenging. They're challenging our traditions and to see if our traditions are really based in Scripture or if they're just preferences. So, you know, I agree somewhat with what you're saying, but I also think we ought to, we ought to give others of them a break and say, hey, they're, they're, they're asking a lot of questions. They're challenging tradition. And, and we need to be able to go to Scripture and say, this is what we believe and why. Some of them, some of them may be. Some of them may be. Uh, other comments, questions? Jackie? You never talk, Jackie. I'm glad to hear from you. Uh, to go off what she says, too. It really hurts my soul to see the church going, forgetting about evening uh, services. Granted, we have small groups here, so that's good. But being from Catholic grounding till I was, what, 24? Where else are we going to learn and teach if we don't get together? Mm, that's a great question. And on Jackie, on that, maybe we need to put our brains in gear and think about how we might learn. Well, you know, if people get together and have Bible studies, that great. Yeah. If you don't reach out and get more people into it. It's, it's hard getting people into new situations. Like yes. Change. I'm with you. And I appreciate what you said about meetings and the church coming together. Oh, okay. You don't want to say something there, Doug? Okay. Anybody else? Darling? Yeah, let's... Uh, would you all mind... I don't know you two. Who are you? We're oh, you're, you're, are you John's? You're John's parents, aren't you? You're visitors. Okay, we're, we're glad to have you. Darling? I, I, one of the things, I, I, I agree with Nicole that some of the younger adults are looking for what pleases them. So are some of the people in my age group. They want to go somewhere where it's comfortable, where they feel mm. good. But I'm also very keenly aware, and know many young adults, <clears throat> that really want to go someplace, and I, this is probably what you're going to talk about next week when you talk about raising the standards. Some of the churches that I think that are really growing are the churches, when I look into them, and these are in metroplex areas, they have high standards. They have raised the bar on discipleship. And I think there's an element, young or old, that is looking for that strong discipleship and training and teaching and how we can guide them in that, I think, is the question. It's... I, I, It's hard not to make this. I don't think anybody here is talking really about changing doctrine. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be taught, and that's agreed. But the question is, how do we teach it? Um, How do we develop a conduit into people's hearts so they come to know Jesus? If we see that, if you work in a classroom of any kind, of any age, it is not the way it was 20 years ago. Because... 
things change. The way kids learn is different. We saw that when we were teaching. It was like, wow, they don't even think the way we think. And so our job became, okay, how do I get this subject area into their thinking and their heart in ways that are different from mine? And that's the challenge of the teacher. And I think I go back to this last one you have up there. Well, the one, a slide before. This is how do we help people come to the Lord? That's the purpose of change. It is not willy-nilly. It is how do we how do we find ways into people's hearts with the gospel? So, I'm, I mean, it's not apples and oranges, although it gets muddy. To, it is apples and oranges, but it does muddy together in the middle. And that's hard for me sometimes to distinguish. Okay. Thank you, hon. We've got one last comment. Shelley, you have the privilege, so make it good. Good. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just sitting here thinking because my heart kind of breaks with the fact that so much of what we talk about is our own preference and our own, um, what we think the church should be, which I'm not saying that's bad, but we're not even talking about the lost. Mm. We're not even talking about those who are outside of faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's one thing if somebody comes into our body who already has a faith and they choose to walk away because they don't like how we sing or they don't like how we do this or that because they're probably going to go find somewhere else that fits them, And but they're already in the faith. What about the people who are outside that need desperately to know the love of Christ? Are we willing to change for them? Um, and, you know, I think it goes back to when Christ left, he said, go out and save the lost. And are we a body that's doing that? Are we truly seeking the lost? And um, are we willing to change for the lost? Are we willing to make um, compromises, not in doctrine, but in the way we do things to be relevant to somebody who desperately needs the love of Christ? Um, and that's challenging for me, too. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Um, am I willing to... Um, change the way I think about certain things if it's a matter of life or death for somebody. And that's what it is for the lost. Yes, it I mean, is. it's a matter of life and death. Excellent. That is our closing prayer. That statement was perfect. I'll see you next week. <laughs>